0: Do you want to day 2 every eternal open well step 1 is always net deck Hello, everyone, and welcome to FE Cast Episode 83 How Today to Every Open. Uh, this is going to be a cast that spawned from a comment uh, that was, well, a discussion really that happened in the Discord a few weeks ago, and we had hoped to get this out earlier, but uh, real life got in the way. Uh, but here we are, and I think this is going to be one of our most important episodes ever. Uh, by we, I am, of course, talking about myself, uh, Sunnyvale, and also my good friend Stormblust. How's it going?
1: It's going very well. Uh, I've been playing Eternal a bit more recently. I, real life happens. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been playing Eternal a bit more, and I've been um, thinking about competition a bit more. So it's a good little time to do an FE cast.
0: Yeah. So this discussion began with uh, a question from um, Snowbird in the Friends of Eternal Discord. And the question goes like this. It was asked on May 29th, which as of recording is about three weeks ago. Weird question for the group. I'd like to start making day twos more consistently. What should I be doing practicing to do so? Placing wall is also nice, but for now I want to actually get in regularly. And I think this is an excellent question because a lot of the time we're talking about really high level stuff like how to go from you know making day twos regularly and being a well established player to trying to qualify for worlds that's the topic of a lot of our discussions but there are a lot of people in snowboard snowbirds um position where they're just trying to you know start making a footprint on the competitive scene and that's something I think we gloss over a lot so today's episode is going to be all about how to uh Start performing consistently, I, I suppose, like go from not having a ton of experience to getting to a place where you're really uh, comfortable playing in tournaments and, and starting to see some real results. As a quick disclaimer, uh, we just like to mention that, you know,
1: competition isn't everything and that winning isn't everything. So when we say always net deck, we're not saying, you know, net, if you're net deck, you're not net deck and you're doing it wrong. The answer is if you care about winning, if you want to win these tournaments. Then you and you haven't already have the backlog of experience of deck building or net decking or whatever, then yes, you might want to go for the net deck because you are far more likely to do well in a tournament setting than otherwise. If all you care about is building your own brew and having a good time on ladder and, you know, winning less often, right, because you probably will, um, winning isn't everything, accomplishment isn't everything, you know, the tournaments aren't everything, right? So we're not making a distinction, a value judgment that if you're not trying to be super competitive, you're being bad. The answer is, if your goal is this one thing, then we are giving you advice for this one thing. We're not giving you advice for the other scenarios.
0: Yeah, ultimately, if you're playing Eternal, you should be striving to have fun, whatever that entails for you. Um, This is specifically just for the question that Snowbird asked. Um, So this question spawned a really great uh, discussion in the uh, Friends of Eternal Discord. If you want to go back and look at it, it happened on... Uh, May 29th, uh, 2022, and it's in the main Eternal Discussion Channel. Um, Some really good uh, input from a lot of members of the community, and we're going to be quoting some of the things that people said uh, today. Um, All right, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. a lot of our content is focused towards some people that might be a little more established, um and today we're going to be talking more toward people who are you know t- trying to get established and I think the first thing we need to do is uh make a distinction of these players so we have three tiers of players we're going to be talking specifically about the first one is going to be for people who are going for their first day too so maybe you haven't played uh in a an open tournament at all before uh, maybe you just play some ranked but um don't do it a whole ton uh, that's going to be our first tier of discussion we're going to have a second tier for people who have day two a few tournaments but are trying to get more consistent that's probably where snowboard falls into um with uh with these categories and finally we'll have the third tier which is beyond if someone is a regular day two player uh, this advice will be for people to try to you know make the jump and try to qualify for worlds or something um, so did I miss anything, Stormblust, or are we good to go on all the definitions?
1: No, I think, I think those are some pretty reasonable definitions, right? So you went, we're going from, you know, 0 to 1, 1 to regular, and then regular to deep finishes.
0: Yeah. And it's important to note that there's a ton of advice floating out there, but all of this is going to be within the context of a couple of limitations, really important limitations that uh, you can't really, you know... You can't. You have to operate with these limitations in mind when it comes to preparation for these tournaments. The first, of course, is how much time you, as a person, have to prepare for a tournament. A lot of people work jobs or in college, and uh, you know you can't just sit around playing tournament all day every day. Um, so the first one, the first limitation is how much time do you really have to prepare for the tournament? And anything that can shortcut um, that, you know make it so that you can save some time, is going to be valuable. And the second limitation is how close your time available to prepare for the tournament is uh, to the tournament. So if you're preparing a month out, that preparation is not going to be as, nearly as valuable as preparation the day before the tournament. I say that even a week before the tournament, um, the preparation is not as valuable as as preparation the day before. Um, so, we a lot of the things we're going to say are going to be uh, with these two things in mind. Alright, let's go into our first tier. So, this is for people going for their first Day 2s. If they've never Day 2 determined, maybe they've never played in, uh, an Open, this is their best shot at um, making
1: Day 2. Yeah, so the, the key advice here is, if we're going from 0 to 1, is always net deck. If you are not net decking, you are doing it wrong. Maybe you ch- maybe change one card in the deck, but like realistically, just pick a deck from that a good deck from the community, from Eternal Warcry from whatever, some source that's reliable, and, and pick them. So our first quote from the community comes from Popo Tito, who says, Most people I tried to help learn the game have told me that they have bad luck and they get screwed. When I see their deck, they have six cost cards along with a twenty-five power base deck when people start playing the game they shouldn't brew at all they need to read cards and net deck till they learn the basics and and this is this is the key bit this is you know basically the whole ball game here is that when you when you haven't done it yet you you gotta pay, stick with what's good you gotta stick with what's known you can't you know reinvent the wheel in a sense because that just wastes time as somebody said you have less time because time is limited so don't reinvent the wheels find someone else's wheel and you know eventually you can make a better wheel, but you shouldn't start by being like, I'm going to make the new best wheel. Start with the wheel that exists, and then eventually, once you've already made day two a couple times, then you can start trying to make the wheel better.
0: Absolutely. This will save you so much time for a new player, because then you can focus on uh, trying to get better or learning the deck or learning the metagame instead of trying to poke around and basically just having a lot of trial and error that might not be fruitful. So absolutely uh if you are just starting out with competitive eternal always net deck um and it's important to get your net deck from the right place most of the time you can just look on eternal warcry and there will be good decks there but leading up to a tournament uh, that might not always be the case um because a lot of people are keeping their best decks uh close to their chest so uh blessed advice look for usernames um look for reputable people who uh you trust with their deck building skill um and like i would like to say like i would like to believe that i do a pretty good job of this going up to tournaments i do usually post what i think are good decks leading up to it and uh, i've also noticed stormguard has a uh, well at least stormguard wrote an article for the last open and i thought it was pretty good it had a lot of good lists in there um and maybe the like I think the quality was, like, a little spread because Stormguard went over a lot of different decks. Uh, but it's definitely a great starting point for for picking a deck.
1: The other the other place to go to is, with some caveats, uh, T&E winning decks, by which I mean, you know, look for top four situations, are generally going to be preli- pretty reliable. You know, sometimes they'll be a little bit sketchier than other times. But overall, if a deck has done well in a T&E, it's likely to be, at the very least, decent. Uh, additionally, this is m- more for throne tournaments and exhibition tournaments, but previous throne opens can sometimes also have uh, reasonable decks or at the very least places to pick 71 cards from, for instance. So, for instance, uh, if you were interested in playing like a Huru Kira variant and you went to Sunnyvale's last uh, Huru Kira build from two throne opens ago, you could remove the Jotun Hurlers and replace them with you know, another decent Kira card and you'd probably end up with a decent Kira deck, right? the most recent throne deck open i had a kira deck and that's you know kira's been pretty much the same for so very long with you know replacing like one nerf card at a time right so you know not every uh open not every throne deck remains the same over time you know another example of a consistent throne deck would be stones right it's been pretty similar across the years just with you know a new card added a nerf card removed you know very similar though from iteration to iteration um clear this doesn't apply to any you know massive balance patches or you know brand new decks out of the wazoo but you know there are decks from previous throne events that are still going to be reliable in the next throne metagame
0: yeah just be wary of cards that have been nerfed like you mentioned Yoten hurler um that's a card that changed from when i posted that deck and uh for the uh, stone scar example i think X won the throne championship a couple years ago with a month or two month old decklist that Stormguard had posted on Warcry, so that's definitely a reasonable strategy, especially when it comes to Throne and the format doesn't move quite as much. Um, so everyone, repeat after me: there is nothing wrong with net decking. Don't listen to the people on Reddit. Don't listen to the salt ads that tell you that you're stupid because you're net decking. There is absolutely nothing wrong with net decking. It saves you a lot of time and lets you focus on the things that you need to focus on
1: so so um thankfully i think in eternal we have less people that whine about net decking than other communities um but the other the other interesting thing about net decking as far as the uh negative mentality of thinking it's a bad thing is that there are there's a you know the the worst type of mentality to have would be that you know net decking is bad and i want to do well competitively right because those two things don't really go together, especially if you haven't been if you especially don't have any day twos yet, right? If you're, you know, super deep on day twos, maybe you can get away with that mentality. But even then I'd find a suspect. But the mentality of I don't want a net deck and I want to do well in tournaments are in some ways mutually exclusive if you haven't done it already. If you've ever made a day two and you have that mentality, you need to decide which one you care about more. You want to care more about you know, building your own decks and having a good time or being competitive because you're not going to be able to do them both. You cannot have both of those thoughts at the same time.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's just going to be a much harder path. I think it is possible, but it's going to be a struggle. It's like playing Dark Souls. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Our next piece of advice is to uh, pick a deck that you're comfortable with over what, you know, experts are saying are the right deck for the tournament. Um, So here we have a quote from Ddub talking about this. I think making day two is less about right deck for the meta and more about the right deck for you. Make sure you know your matchups, your mulligans, your outs, etc. Choosing the right deck is more important when trying to go deep day two. So we talk about net decking and um, Absolutely, you know, take a look at these decks, but you don't have to just like pick one and stick with it. You pick one, you like try some out and then find one that you enjoy or like you feel comfortable with, and then really start trying to get comfortable with that your uh, your performance is going to be better with a deck that you're really comfortable with, uh, much better than like if you switch decks at the last minute without having a lot of experience with it.
1: yeah, an example of example of a sort of a, a style of deck that might that some might have said was the best deck in the format, but might not have been the best deck for you would be something like overloader combo, which is a deck that you really had to you know stay alive and make sure that you stay alive. and then comboing off itself wasn't always you know as easy as uh, you know play machinations for 18 and you know you should win right. Sometimes you had to navigate through generating just enough power and digging through just enough cards, you know how how to actually get there right. Sometimes the deck you know played itself. but a lot of games, you really had to know what the lines were. And, so, you know, if that wasn't the playstyle you enjoyed and think it wasn't comfortable for you, then even if Odalorder was deemed the best deck by, you know, uh, the pillars of the community, then it probably wasn't the deck you should pick. Because, it. Un- I mean, there are very few situations where one deck is so dominant, tier zero, that no other decks can possibly compete, right? We've only had a couple of those in the entire history of Eternal. You know, Rakana with Flip, uh you know endra right those were like the two situations where if you weren't playing one of those two decks you probably were doing it wrong uh but other than that you know there's been very few formats where one deck is so dominant that you couldn't pick a comfortable deck over a right deck provided they were both decent decks you know net decking ver- net decking decks um uh, that the comfortable deck couldn't be the right choice for you for making a day two
0: yeah so in order to feel comfortable with the deck i recommend playing with the same deck for at least two weeks especially if you're just starting out um we have a quote from notorious ghp on this play a lot because recognizing certain situations so so that i don't have to think hard on them is very important so i can think more on unique situations if you're playing one deck then you can Just focus on the situations that come up with that deck and know how to respond and have experience in those situations. And then when they come up in the tournament, then you'll be better suited to deal with them. And then even so, like, if you have unique situations, then you can spend a little more brain power thinking about those. And I mean, that, you know, comes with, you know, playing the same deck and facing the same other decks over and over again really helps develop that. And and if you you know when you're just starting out, you shouldn't even be thinking about things like matchup spread, which is something that a lot of people talked about in our thread. But that's you know, that's talking about switching decks to get a different matchup spread, and and you really want to just stick with one um, for for a while if you're just trying to gain comfort um, with the same deck.
1: Yeah, and and you know this can this can be difficult with how uh, dial turns can be scheduled either by sometimes set releases you know a week in advance sometimes there's a, an important you know balance patch that happens that changes the metagame um, uh, takes out your deck or whatever and also you know it can also be relevant as far as um, uh, you know as somebody said originally the proximity to tournament, right testing days before the tournament is better than two weeks out right so if you can't get the two weeks in, get as much time as you can in because the closer you are to the tournament the better testing is anyways right so if you can't get two weeks but you can get three days and you're suddenly decided this is the deck i want to do you know you don't need to change the day before you can be like oh I've decided three days in advance I like this deck a lot, you know. So just because we're beaten on ladder once by another deck is we should just immediately want to jump ship.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, along with that, it's not like the metagame of uh, the tournament. Like The tournament metagame isn't necessarily going to shift as quickly as ladder sometimes shifts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Stormblust, have you ever been in a situation uh, on day two where you were playing a deck and you didn't know what your cards did? uh yes actually (laughs) is it a good feeling no actually (laughs) yeah so that's a really big reason why you want to just stick with the deck and have that comfort level because that is the last place you want to be is not know exactly how your cards are going to respond because like you can't ask anyone i don't know i mean maybe you can quickly ask a question to someone but like most of the time you're not going to be able to you know, pause the match and ask someone how something's going to work. You just have to. You have to know what's going to. How you can't make work. a. You can't make a judge call in Eternal Card Game. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah. So so, you, and that's the benefit to pl- uh playing the deck enough time is that you can then know what every card does, especially for complex cards. We have you know the the five mono faction displays, and they all do different things. For example. Uh, display of will can make the enemy player sacrifice a relic or a site. You know, if you don't play the card enough, you might not remember that they can make them sacrifice a site because sites don't really come up in expedition. I mean, yes, still, Stronghold comes up a fair bit, but like maybe it just never came up for you. But because, you know, sites are just so uncommon in expedition that you forget about the or site aspect of display of will. And then the moment when you really want to be able to use it, you've forgotten that the effect is there and you don't know what the card does. And so, oops, I guess you don't win
0: that game that you otherwise could have won. Yeah, that's a very relevant example. Corner cases that you, you'll you start to recognize corner cases the more you play with the deck. Yeah,
1: so the other thing about um, getting the first day two uh, can, to move on from, sorry, to move on from the subject of, you know, picking the comfortable deck and the net decking is that uh, sometimes just getting the day two can sometimes just be a confidence issue, right? The first time, um, the first uh, eternal, back then they were uh, eternal uh, championship qualifiers, the first ECQ I didn't enter because I wasn't confident in myself. I was like, there's no way I'm going to do well. You know, I, I don't I don't know how to be competitive. And then the second one I entered only because I literally played the same deck for like a month and thought it was awesome. Um, and, um, and, you know, I ended up getting a really deep run on the tournament. I was like, wait a minute, I've done well. I can do well. And so I just kept entering more opens afterwards because I realized, oh, I do have what it takes. I am able to qualify in day twos. And so like, I'm going to keep trying. And I also was like, oh, wait, it's actually really fun to participate, even if I don't make it. Uh, so then, you know, it was kind of just like both a, I enjoy this and a, oh, I can do this.
0: Yeah, this is a, this is kind of a strange one. Like, I mean, I don't really know how to express it, but like, every once in a while, you'll, you'll um, see someone posting about how they're going to play their first open. And they're like, kind of nervous about it and you've played this person on ladder a bunch, and you know they're a good player, and they just, like, crush their first open. I mean, crush is, like, relative. Like, top 32 for a first open is definitely a really good uh, result. But, I I mean, you know, just put yourself out there a little. Don't don't be afraid to do so. Nothing bad's going to happen. Maybe you lose some gold from your account, but nothing bad's going to happen if you don't do as well as you'd hoped. Um, and certainly, don't tie your personal worth to results in a card game. That's yeah. That's yeah. You know, I mean, that's yeah. That's just like it's it's a good way to feel miserable.
1: <laughs> yes, <Yeah. So> putting <laughs> your self worth into into a card game or really dedicating your self worth into any one highly specific thing is just setting yourself up for failure. Because if that thing ever gets touched, suddenly you're gonna fall down the misery hole, and you don't want to do that. So you know, spreading out your identity is better than. You know, keeping it uh really niche and specific. Yeah, but, but that's yeah, that, that goes beyond the scope of
0: this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But the, the, the overall point is like, you know, just give it, give it a shot. Um, if if you're considering it all and you like playing Eternal, especially like, I don't know, on ladder, give it a shot. I mean, it's basically just playing 14 ladder games for each entry now. The the barrier to entry is even lower than it used to be. Um, yeah, you and switch you decks might... now. You don't you don't have to pick the same <laughs> deck twice.
1: So you can even switch decks now if you're like, man. <laughs> This felt off. I'm going to switch to a different deck. But I mean, obviously that goes against some of our points, but still, you know, do what's fun for you, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So just give it a shot. You might be surprised with how well you do. Um, All right. And finally, our our last uh, topic of advice for people in the first tier are uh, to make sure that your gameplay is solid. Like, focus on your fundamentals. Um, Here we have a quote from Alex Firo, who says... My best advice is to work on your technical play first and foremost. Learning a deck is very helpful in the short uh, lead period to a tournament, but having the fundamentals down will get you a long way with pretty much anything. And I think this is uh, a really good one. So we've talked about how it's really important to learn a deck, and it, it definitely is for, like, your performance. But also just focus on fundamentals of, of playing well, because um, when, you're, when you're being critical with your own play, that is something that's going to help you as long as you play eternal or you know any card game really um so so just focus on fundamentals try to you know make good plays think about the plays afterwards and and be like was that a good play yeah it was i'll do that again next time or was that a good play nah, not really maybe i should do something next time
1: yeah and you know the the other uh idea is you don't really want to ever play around things. You know, just just pretend that they never have it. Just play, you know, sort of almost solitaire. Just play to the board rather than what could be in their hand. Uh, because, you know, that's going to work more often than not, right? There is a certain subset of times where, yes, you will make the wrong play because you didn't try to play around something. But you will by, but it, it's also equally likely, especially if you don't know what you're doing, that if you try to play around something, you will misplay to what you actually should do instead, right? So trying to play around things can sometimes... Be good where you actually end up playing around the thing that would be punishing, or you could play around something that doesn't exist, or even if you're trying to play around, you play around it badly, and then you end up making a worse play than you would otherwise. So just play to the board, play what's in your hand, rather than trying to think about what your opponent has.
0: Absolutely. As I say, just make the level zero play. I've said that a lot. Just play, make the obvious play, don't worry about what's in their hand. If the thought ever creeps up, well, what if my opponent has blank, or what if my opponent draws blank? just shove that thought out of your mind for now. <laughs> don't even worry I, about it. I mean, I don't think it, I don't think it's, you know,
1: purely an absolutist statement to some extent, like, you know, like, you know, right now, if you're playing, you know, uh, we'll get bullets eventually, but if you're playing like an FGS leash deck and you see your opponent's factions, you might be like, oh, I should try playing on a board clear. That's super common in the format. Or if your opponent has, you know, six cards in hand, that would be a little different than how I'd play if they had two cards in hand, right? So there are some sort of big overarching strategies of things, but I wouldn't play on any specific card individually.
0: Well, maybe. I think for people in this bracket, though, it's good to just not play around anything because sometimes sure. they're not going to have it, right?
1: Sure. Sometimes, I mean, yeah. hey, that that does work some of the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's how I won one of these tournaments. Yeah. <laughs> they just never had it.
1: Do you want to tell that story um, again
0: for the people at home? Uh, yeah, okay. So I was basically playing a deck that... I was playing a Monofire deck um, that had a bunch of units that had one health. So if my opponent played Blightmouth or if they played Hailstorm, if they played um, Black Sky Harbinger, any of those cards, I was just totally dead. And you know what? I probably wasn't being any of those cards anyway. So I just played out my units, attacked every turn. Um, if they had four power up and they were going to play an ambush unit to, to make a really good block... I just did it anyway, and sometimes they didn't do it. And, you know, not enough people had answers for what I was doing, and I ended up winning the whole thing. And, I mean, like, I was maybe a bit m- more reckless than I should have been, but I think that, you know, if you just play like they don't have it, especially when you're just starting out, that's going to be your best shot. Don't get too fancy with it. Because the answer is if you're trying to play, so, for example, in this case, of let's say your hand is full of
1: three ones and you're trying to play around a, uh, you know, Hailstorm, and you're just like, I'm going to keep an extra 3-1 in hand, you know, Say three turns later, the opponent doesn't have a 3-1 or four turns later, but doesn't have a 3-1, you missed out on nine damage by not playing that 3-1 into play. And if the opponent played, you know, like a 3-3 three, three unit instead, you know, that nine damage could be the difference between winning or losing. So play out the units, because every turn the units in play, it accumulates advantage where, you know, maybe they don't have the board clear.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and our last piece of advice for this section is just play the same way you do in practice. Try not to play differently just because you're playing in a tournament, then you have them have been playing on ladder um just try to treat it like uh any other game and i mean yes it is harder to win in tournaments when games in tournaments but if i think if you just stick to your guns you'll probably the wins will come <laughs> stick to your guns the win will wins will come i should uh frame that quote or something all right <laughs> let's go on to the next section so this is our for our second tier of players so these are players that have maybe top, uh, sorry, top 64, day two, whatever, a few tournaments, but want to day two more tournaments on a more consistent basis. Um, So uh, I think a lot of the things we said previously, you know, can benefit these people. Well, now we're going to be focusing on this group. Um, So the number one thing, and this is something that I spent, you know, an entire podcast talking about with Collector, uh, is to slow down when you're playing. It's really easy to make mistakes, and no matter how well you think you're playing Eternal, you can always play better. And the best way to do that is just give yourself a little more time to think about everything. And to do that, just slow down.
1: Um, You've got 90 seconds on the clock every turn, and you are allowed to use them. You can use them, and don't worry if your opponent thinks you're slow playing. Like I know that's a worry that I've had previously. Some other people have had, right? You don't want to be perceived as the BM'er who is roping every turn, you know. Because no no one wants to be no one wants to be rude, right? And so like everyone hates being roped on, but like in especially in the tournament setting, slow down. You, you know, you, it's not especially day two specifically. In day two, you know, no one's going to be roping, right? or you should never assume if anyone's taking their time in the turn that they are roping for BM purposes, because turns can be complicated. You've got the time to think. It's important to take the time you've got.
0: Yeah, as I always say, if you are not roping every turn, you're playing too fast. <laughs> and I'm not really joking. If you've seen me play in a tournament, a lot of the time, I just rope every single turn. Um, so, yeah, I'm not trying to play slow. Like, I'm not trying to be BM or whatever. I'm just, you know, trying to think through everything. Yeah, it, it can be it can be easy to think your opponents
1: BM. It can be much harder to give them the... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of respect the... I, I forget what I go with that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on okay so this is kind of a repeat of the last section but uh, i just want to reiterate play good decks you know seriously like don't just pick your favorite unconventional strat go for consistency pick what's good out there uh you know because once you start getting like one or two day day ones right once you make a day two of an open one or once or twice you can start backsliding and be like oh i've made it once or twice i'm gonna go back to trying to do my own thing and you know then you backslide back and never making day twos again Um, I say this from experience because there was a long stretch of time where after I made my first day two, I stopped making day twos again. And I think that's in large part because I kept picking my favorite unconventional strat. Uh, Like I believe the last tournament that I really went for, you know, going off the balls, you know, meme style unconventionality was the, um, I think it was, it was either the Argent port or the expedition Xenon cultist metagame, one of those two metagames. And I brought, um, Fire Time Primal, twelve copies of um, uh, the the what's what's that what's that weapon that plays Equivocate?
0: Uh, Spellshaper. So Spell Spellshaper? Spellshaper. Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. so this was back when Spellshaper cost two, and I had twelve ways of putting on like a Ramba or whatever, and it was a really neat deck. I mean, the deck was really cool, and maybe in a different meta game or if there were slightly different cards, it could have gotten there. But I got seventeen and eleven with that deck. Um, and that's because I went for, you know, the unconventional strat. It was one win off of qualifying, and that's just because I picked the deck that I shouldn't have played. Even though I could have picked a better deck, I ended up backsliding from the original assumption of pick the best deck, and I ended up not going well with it.
0: Yeah, this is, you know, advice that could be geared toward yourself and myself, right? Because both of us like thinking unconventionally and doing something a little different. And a lot of times we can get a little too cute with things, and both of us have a lot of experience with times where we just played something that was bad because it was different um, and didn't do as well because of it. That isn't to say that, you know, thinking outside the box is frowned upon. But if you're just trying to get more consistent with the day twos, I think it's important to just stick with what has been, you know, proven to be effective. You know, um, it's... I've done a lot of, um, I mean... I've gone a lot of day twos, and a lot of the time, I'm just playing, you know, what I think is the best deck, and everyone knows it's the best deck. Um, I've yeah. certainly done a ton of
1: that. I mean, and of course, the other thing is, for all, you know, I meme about specific cards that I love, because I do fall in love with them, you know, I don't actually play them as much as I like to hype hype them up, or whatever, because I just end up deciding that they're not the best deck, you know. I mean, I have played Volatility in, you know, like, three tournaments, whatever, three or four, maybe, and in only one of those was it ever a time where I was like, I'm picking it because I think it's actually the correct choice. Every other time I have played it, it's been, I just want to have fun. I don't really care about making day two. Sometimes because I literally couldn't play on day two because I had real life things going on. And, um, you know, like, you uh, I like, you know, I talked about how much I loved Crafty Occultist. I was like, it's my crafty lad, my crafty child, my boy. You know, I played Crafty Occultist in like one tournament ever, just because it, for whatever reason, just never happened to be in a deck that I wanted to, that I thought was the best deck, even though it was like my favorite card. It still is one of my favorite cards. It just ended up not panning out because I just went for the deck that was good, and, you know, I ended up qualifying because I picked the deck I thought was good.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the best deck, and I think, like, once you've started to make some Day 2s, that's when you can start, you know, trying sure, out a sure. bunch of different decks, like, maybe a week before the tournament. But you still want to feel comfortable. Like, again, you you just—the nightmare situation is being in Day 2 <laughs> and not knowing what how your card works. So like that should be avoided at all costs. Make sure you get a lot of reps in which whichever deck you're playing. But maybe, you know, if you have a little more comfort with it, you can you can try a few different decks and, and pick one to work on for a week before the tournament. The
1: first time the first time you're playing a deck, it's overloader on day one of a tournament. That sounds like a miserable
0: time. I mean that I mean Watch Wolf did win a tournament that way, but also Watchwolf has played in like ten Pro Tours uh, yeah. in MTG, so yeah. You're not Watchwolf. <laughs> Unless Watchwolf <laughs> yeah, is listening yeah. to this, in which case you are Watchwolf. Yeah.
1: Uh, so then the, the 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 level two, as so previously we had said that, you know, one of the goals with playing your deck enough times and being comfortable is that you get to know your own cards, right? Level one is making sure you know what your cards do. And so level two in this case would then be knowing what your opponent's cards do. If you, you know, this this can somewhat be a result of being comfortable with the deck, where if you play enough times with a deck you can understand what your opponent's lines are, what they might be doing, you know, so um, it's more likely in a sense that you will not know what your opponent does rather than what you do. And so, um, you know, this just comes with playing the game, more. or in this case, it comes from, maybe you do play the other decks in the format, right? Even though you're like, I'm going to pick, you know, uh, Argent Port Control, you know, classic Argent Port mid-range style deck, but you play some of the other decks in the format so you can understand what their game plan is, what they're going to do, so that when you end up switching back to your original deck that you decided you want to pl- actually play, you have a better understanding what the opponent's cards are going to do.
0: Yeah, it's always helpful to see another perspective on this. I mean, even if you're set on your deck for the tournament, it's very valuable to play other decks just to see what you know how the other matchup feels. Um, I think that like the people who don't do this come up with like wild misconceptions of like aggro is so easy or control is so easy or. You know, stuff like that. Like, oh, this matchup is completely mindless. I've heard plenty of those types of arguments over the years. And it's just not the case. You can tell that the people who are saying this don't have a ton of experience playing from both sides. Yeah, this expedition format, you know, not to
1: date this too hardly, but this expedition format is definitely one that can lead to that sort of mentality. Um, and then the, the corollary to this point about you know, what the opponent's cards do is, you know, thinking about day two aspect, right? Day one versus day two. In day one, You can only know what your opponent's going to do by making assumptions about the deck that they're playing and having either played with a similar version yourself or on ladder, whereas Day 2, you have open deck lists, so suddenly you can potentially see what your opponent can do, and that can also result in a different type of misplay, which is where you focus too heavily on what the opponent has in deck and forget about what's on the board, which goes back to Sunny's play level uh, 0-1 plays, right? Where it can definitely be really helpful. Like It definitely is exceptionally helpful to look at you know, the opponent's deck list in a day two format. But you don't want to overdo it and like, you know, go too far in the direction of thinking too much about their deck list.
0: Hey Stormblest, have you ever been tilted in your ter- in a tournament and it has negatively impacted your play? Absolutely, Sonny. <laughs> have you ever done this? Oh gosh, don't remind me. This happens to everyone. It's it's really unavoidable, but I'm you definitely want to minimize the impact if at all possible.
1: Yeah, so my the, the things that I like to think about, and you know, this is again very rudimentary, right? Very reductionist in some aspects. Um, the first one less than the second, but you know, each game is an island and each move is an island, right? You shouldn't let the previous games impact the future games, and likewise, you should try to let the previous turns not impact the future turns. So, if you you know, happen to either you know, screw up or get unlucky in game one, you know, don't let that impact game two, they're completely different games. Uh, which is you know, that one I've sort of at, at this point. I've gotten pretty decent at not letting previous games impact future games. The much harder one, and I think this goes for most people, is that previous moves impacting future moves, right? I make a misplay, and I am far more likely to make a misplay on turn, you know. If I make a misplay turn three, I'm more likely to make a misplay turn four, even though, you know, they're independent events to some aspect, right? The board states are going to be dependent on each other. But making this correct move on turn four, it doesn't matter if you misplay on turn three, there's still going to be a correct move to make on turn four, regardless of whatever you made on turn three. And it could be very easy to mess up on turn three and then keep messing up over and over again. In the last open, I screwed up, I miscounted my power and I didn't get my Hojin triggers. And for the next like five turns, I misplayed like every single turn. My opponent was at one life every single turn uh, because I just kept accumulating my mistake and I kept accumulating the tilt over time. I didn't think that each move was an island. I didn't think to separate all the events together. I pushed them all together to the point that it just overloaded my brain. I kept tilting off.
0: Yeah. Any spot you are in, in an internal match, whether it's the beginning of a new game or the middle of a game, it doesn't matter how you got to that spot. All that matters is what you can do from that spot to continue on. And I think that's really important and also very difficult to do because... You know, I've certainly been in the same situation where I'm compounding my mistakes because I'm thinking about them.
1: And and it's not just as far as mistakes you make. It can also be, you know, your opponent got lucky on turn three, and so you start tilting on turn six or whatever, right? Where it's like, no, well, it doesn't matter if the opponent got a good top deck on turn three or turn Whatever, you know, you insert whatever turn it is. It doesn't matter what happened on the earlier turn, even if it's the opponent doing something good. You know, this later turn is, exists independently of that other turn.
0: yeah. So we have a few uh, good quotes from the community members um, here regarding tilt. Notorious GHP has one that's pretty helpful. If you're mathematically inclined, it can really help with being less tilted by variance by looking at percentages. And this is something to do uh, after after the match, like to feel better. About <laughs> the tournament.
1: Sorry, I'm it because, I'm like, like, during the match, I'm starting to tilt off. Time to put the hypergeometric calculator.
0: Yeah, I am someone who is very, um, comforted by statistics. Not everyone is like this, but, you know, if I look back and if if I lose and my opponent got, um, got really lucky or it feels like they got lucky and I calculate and it, it's like, well, they were, like, 10% to draw this card for, like, six turns and then, you know, cumulatively, that that adds up to being like not that lucky. Like <laughs> that that's a total totally reasonable thing to happen. Yeah.
1: So the, and the, the, this actually works in some aspects in both directions, right? You can either see, oh, this happens more this happens more often than I my inclination was, right? Maybe it's like a twenty percent event. It's like, oh, it was a twenty percent event. I guess that's not that bad. Or if it turns out it was like, oh, this was a point five percent event, then it's like, oh. I guess that's also, I mean, you know, that happened. I guess, that, I, guess I was unlucky. That sucks. You know, I guess I, it's easier to move on. It's easier to get closure in either scenario. The only trick here is that you can definitely lie to yourself by manipulating the numbers you, so for example, hypergeometric calculator is the classic way to look at, you know, the probability statistics for card games. Uh, and if you look at that, you can very easily lie to yourself by inputting numbers that benefit being luckier or unluckier as you want. Uh, and so you want to make sure you're being honest with yourself about the numbers you're inputting into the math. Because if you input the bad numbers, you're going to get a bad result.
0: Yeah, it can be, like, if you don't have a lot of experience with statistics, it can be difficult to, like, understand exactly what you should be calculating. I'm not I'm not necessarily even saying understanding. I'm saying
1: you are either unconsciously or consciously choosing the number that makes your – the position you want to make that helps you tilt more because it helps you better right making it so it's, you're unluckier for instance um, by just saying like oh I had you know more draws than I otherwise actually had right or it's like you know I drew more power than I actually drew even though secretly you know you're like manipulating the numbers around by like one or two you're like oh this counts as an extra draw even when it like maybe it doesn't count as an extra draw yeah
0: that's true um, we have another quote from world champion the overmaster on uh, tilt. The Overmaster says, don't feed yourself for making errors. Everyone makes crap plays sometimes. And if you think top level players don't make bad plays, you are wrong. And that's absolutely (laughs) right. I mean, Sternblest and I know that from personal experience. Yeah, top level players,
1: you know, the the key to be, you know, what what do they say, right? Uh, In chess, in Eternal, right? The
0: key to winning a game is not to make no mistakes. It's to make the fewest mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, even if you've been playing bad all game, you've got a chance to turn around if your opponent's also been playing poorly all game. So, yeah. Every move is an island. Each move is an island, I guess it's written here. All right, let's move on. Um, This is a really big, important one, and we have a quote from Jez on this. Um, So, Jez says, A big thing that people miss, I think. You need to recognize your mistakes in the games that you win. And I really like this. This is something that I've been preaching for a long time. Um, Even if you win games, it's really helpful to try to go back and recognize where you could have played better. Like, sure, the outcome couldn't have been helped. Like, you won, that's the best possible outcome in a game. It's either win or lose, right? But if you go back, not just for the games that you lose, but games you also win um and are critical of your playing and see if there are things that you could have done better that's really going to help you down the road and it'll you know looking at not being satisfied with just getting the w and actually looking at things to improve on that will really take your play to the next level um i talk about this a lot on my podcast of uh I forget which number episode it is, but everyone in this game is trashed or something like that. Whatever. It'll be linked in the description. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of you have probably heard me reference this this episode before.
1: Yeah, so a corollary to this is, um, you know, very similar corollary is that, you know, just because you lose, it doesn't also mean that you made a mistake. Sometimes you can, you know, I mean, there's the classic Star Trek YouTube video or whatever if you want to find the thing from TNG where, you know, you know, it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. You know, that is just life. You can make all the correct plays and you can still lose, right? We have a probability-based card game. You know, you can take the line that's going to win you 60% of the time. And if you make that line, that will be the correct line. But you will lose 40% of the time that you make that line. And you just have to accept that, you know, sometimes you can win games or lose games. And it's not the fault of you. It's not the fault of your opponent. That is just is just going to happen. So it's important to recognize when you made a mistake, not just that, you know, that you made a mistake, Right. You can't just think, I lost, I made a mistake. It has to be, I lost, did I actually make a mistake? Because you can sometimes go too far into trying to recognize mistakes that you start thinking things are mistakes when they're not mistakes.
0: Yeah, and I mean, this is dangerous territory because you have to... Sure. Uh, yeah, you like, I, there was a quote from someone who posted in the Friends of Eternal Discord once that said, like, of the games that I lost, 90% of them I hadn't... There was nothing I could do about it, and I just did not believe that. That Sounded not right to me. But, um, you know, you have to accept the possibility that there's nothing... It's possible that there was nothing that you could have done. But also, you have to, you know, look for things and be like, could I have done this better? Even if it wouldn't have uh, impacted the actual outcome of the game, maybe it was a way... I mean, you know, maybe a small change here or there could have a bigger impact down the line, for one thing. But also, you know, maybe it can bring you close closer to victory in games that uh, things break your way a little better.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean uh, it goes down to a lot of things. And one of them is, you know, the people that are saying 90% of the time, I I, I play perfectly and I lose anyways, uh, the shuffler's out to get me, you know. Um, they're also less likely to accept criticism, right? If, they, if they're picking these super hyperbolic statements of, I play perfectly and I lose 90% of the time anyways, you know, they're not likely to respond well to... Maybe you're not playing correctly, or maybe your deck's not good. Uh, you know, that's the other alternative. Maybe they are playing correctly, but they just have a really bad deck—a six—a six drops with twenty-five power deck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's another good tip from D Dub um, as far as self improvement goes. D Dub says. One way of practicing with intent besides recording games is taking notes during or after each game, like just jot down one or two sentences on your mulligan, market decisions, or pivot pivotal turn, etc. Just the act of reflecting on some of these key moments can help you identify areas you are navigating well or may need to improve. I think this is absolutely critical. As much as we say, like, you know, after the game, just wash it off. The next game is an island. You still want to have this moment of reflecting, and I think Like, usually the queue times in Eternal are long enough that you can do this while queuing for the next game, or at least I can. Maybe maybe I shouldn't be advising this to people who aren't used to doing it. But, you know, taking even 30 seconds, looking at the game over screen or whatever, to reflect on a game regardless of outcome and and just, like, write something down or type something out or even just make a mental note of, you know, something that could have been done differently and then, like, quickly evaluating if you think that would have uh, changed it in a positive or negative way that's that's really helpful and this is something that I recommend to everyone and is something that I definitely do for myself all the time yeah this is something that that
1: I I used to do a lot more um you know especially during tournaments I did this heavily day day one of tournaments I would heavily like I like sometimes I would not even queue up but I just write down thoughts like I remember one time one note I made to myself was like in this game, my opponent played three Heart of the Volts warped in a row, and each of them got an Equivocate. Um, (laughs) And I was like, you know, I lost that game, but writing that down made me feel better. It made me, you know, accept like, yeah, I got this kind of unlucky situation in my life, and, you know, I accepted it because it wasn't just like, oh, it wasn't just this nebulous thing. It was this concrete thing I've put into the world now of three Heart of the Volts off the top into three Equivocates, exceptionally unlikely. I think it was like two Equivocates and a Torch or something, actually. You know, three zero cost pieces of interaction. Um, and, you know, that that just helped me even even just dealing with tilt writing down an aspect of the game helped me deal with tilt. But yeah, uh, I something that as much because I started, you know, do- joining voice calls during the tournament. So I have somebody to talk to about what happened in the game rather than writing it down. But similar similar idea, similar uh, intention as far as having a reflective moment on each game. And actualizing the real world, not just keeping in your head, actualizing it in the real world is very important. It's very easy to keep things in your head and have them simmer, but actualizing the real world either by verbalizing it or writing it down can be much better than just leaving it in your head. And that yeah. goes for anything, too, beyond I mean, the scope of this conversation.
0: I'm not sure that this is the type of thing that I would want to do in the middle of a tournament, because then you might be distracted when you start your next game. In the middle of day two, no, but I did day one. I never did day two. Yeah. I feel like this is just more of a, like, when you're playing on ladder and you're just like, you know, trying well, to Well, I, I found it helpful
1: day one. So, you know, maybe try it out. Maybe it doesn't work yeah. for you. It's Not gonna work for Sunday, but it worked for me. So, you yeah. know, different people I do know. their, and then, I guess this is this is a, uh, another thing, right? Not every piece of advice is going to impact everybody the same way, right? While all these advice are generally going to be valuable, some pieces of advice will be more valuable than others.
0: Yeah. All right. Moving on. So now we're on our third tier of player. These are people that, are established and looking to get those last few uh, percentage points to go from you know a regular day two player to collector basically Um, (laughs) so this is like really getting the last bit out of your eternal personal growth or whatever going from being a good player to being a great player Um, so let's start off with a quote from doc 28. Generally speaking, I think that the best place to start is a hybrid of intentional practice experimentation of, in playing the best deck. Once the solid finishes start to rack up and you develop a sense of confidence in your card meta evaluation skills, I think there's a lot to be gained from brewing and playing your own decks. And so up until this point, we've been talking about just net decking, pretty much just sticking to one deck and, and really you know getting solid with that. Once you feel really comfortable about your ability to make day 2, that's when maybe you should try experimenting and, you know, working on deck building or deck tuning in order to come up with a new uh angle in order to try to get ahead of the curve.
1: Yeah, it's it's I mean th- this one's really hard because this is sort of again level 3 thinking is is really quite difficult. Um you know and not not every not every i mean this is especially where things aren't always applicable to everyone um you know for example, collector doesn't uh build decks quite as much, but collector does play decks really well, so collector can give a lot of good feedback on you know what's working in a deck and what's not more so than building the deck themselves so this this one this is this is sort of where you kind of have to start tailoring your approach to who you are as a person uh rather than looking at some more generalist ideas.
0: Yeah, well, Collector works closely. I mean, you would know better than I, but (laughs) I assume Collector works closely with some people who do build a lot of decks. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, that's part of being on a team where they're, you know, loosely defined roles and and people understand uh, what their teammates are good at and delegate responsibility, basically. Yeah, so this this is is
1: where we get into the next point, which is, um, and this applies, I think, heavily, is join a community, right? You know, not just like a team aspect, but like you gotta join a community, which is people who are interested in doing the same things and you know, actually taking advantage of it by conversing with them, uh, having Discord calls, or you know, just conversations on Discord, right? Putting ideas out there and getting feedback, or asking for someone to put an idea out there so you can give feedback on them. Uh, you know, the, the classic one for FE is of course the FE Discord, uh, which is a good place to be if you want to talk about Eternal. And, you know, for example, recently Sunnyvale ins- initiated a Discord call a few nights ago and it was streaming Expedition. But, you know, and this isn't taking advantage enough, but like other people in FE can also do the exact same process. They can all say at, at any moment, like, hey, I'm going to start streaming Expeditions. Anyone want to join? And, you know, you'd probably be surprised that there are probably other people that would want to talk about Eternal or watch you play Eternal in a Discord call. Um, so you should, you know, more people should try to take advantage of that and not just Sunny doing it, but like anyone else can do it too.
0: Yeah. And if you happen to hear this before the, uh, expedition open coming up next week, I will actually be doing that, uh, each day this week. And, uh, seeing that, uh, seeing as I'm not working six days a week anymore, I'm trying to make a little more time for tournament preparation. So I'll be initiating a voice call, um, where we can bounce these ideas off of each other um a lot of good input happened on last night so i'm looking forward to the rest of the weeks um yeah i i mean (laughs) it's it's funny we haven't really talked about using other people um in this but it's really an important part of getting better like just having another set of eyes someone else with You know, another set of experiences looking at the same problem that you're looking at is really helpful. I've talked a lot about how um, card games are extrapolating a sample size that's too small to be extrapolated and trying to, you know, make sense of that. Uh, Well, if you have someone else who has a lot of experience, that will really help increase the sample size and get you a better idea of things. I'd also say that, like, I mean... (laughs) I don't think the main Eternal Discord is a good place to, like, I see some weird conversations that I really don't agree with in there. Occasionally something good will come out of it, but I I do not recommend it. There are other places, Friends of Eternal Discord, obviously, Misplay Discord, are open to everyone. Um, And then there are a bunch of teams that are invite-only that I'm sure lead to excellent, you know, uh, uh, settings for this type of thing. I, I put excellent asterisks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll give a big old asterisk after excellent there, um, but no. So so the, the other aspect, um, you know, I wanted to, to give an idea for is you know the the using other people thing. The, sorry, perspective. I want to give this is as far as uh, taking advantage of the community is that this is definitely a sort of tier two, tier three idea, right? You first want to you know build up yourself to a point of I can pick a. Good deck off Eternal World cry and recognize that it's good, and I can pilot it competently. You know, not at the best, you know, lights out aces collector levels, but you know, competently enough, right? You want to make sure that you have a semblance of yourself, and then you can reach out to have confidence in talking to other people and knowing what to say, in a sense, uh, right? So, sort of, sort of a tier two, tier three idea as far as you know, going for others uh, to improve in a significant margin. Um, the other idea here is. You know I, I do this all the time because i just i also just enjoy this is uh, i spectate people in client and you know i think about what they're doing you know um and this is different than watching a stream because for, when you're watching stream you're doing it kind of for entertainment community purposes you know you're watching you're listening to the stream or you're watching their body language they have a face cam you're reading chat you're talking in chat um it's a very different ball game than you know spectating in client and thinking about what plays your 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 person you're playing is making what plays the opponent's making would you make a different play You know, you can sort of simulate this when streaming as well by muting the stream and, you know, trying to ignore chat, but it's definitely a different ballgame compared to doing it in client in a lot of ways.
0: As someone who's streamed a lot of hours, I can tell you that my play is not very good on stream compared to- That's also true. Yeah, so like it's, I think part of what you're, going along with what you're saying is that you really need to be watching someone when they are playing their best, right? Um, And you need to be focused on that where you know someone's not trying to be entertaining so uh spectating in client is one way to do this also i think that you know the discord calls are a really good um, um place for this it's something that you can't really get from twitch even though you know from the outside it might seem like the two activities are similar they're really not in what the focus is mm-hmm. one last thing i guess this is our last piece of advice unless i missed anything else uh, is record your own gameplay. This is something that I've been preaching for a long time and I think it's really important. Um, it is. It takes a lot of energy to be critical of yourself and it takes a lot of energy to record your own games and to go over them, maybe even have someone else go over them. It takes a lot of energy to do it, but it is worth it. It will... It will make you so much better. <laughs> you will see things that you don't being able to stop and really think about situations where you didn't have enough time or you didn't think to, uh, you know, consider other possibilities during the moment. Um, that's a great tool for learning and growing. So uh, we used to do the piloting club in Friends of Churnal, uh, but we haven't done that for a long time. But the you know the process is still still a very good one of recording your own gameplay and reviewing it either by yourself or with other people.
1: Yeah, and if you can't, if you can't do that, you can, you know, just make top four of, of an open and then Daryl will record your game for you.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess so. And you get expert commentary on, on what's going on. Yeah. um, Yeah. I, I yeah, that seems. That compelling. was a joke for the record. Yeah. It was <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> I should have recognized that as a joke earlier. Alright, well, that concludes our segment of how to um, reach your first day two or day two more consistently or go for a consistent day twoing to be, you know, a great Eternal player. Um, If you have any more uh, ideas for this, let us know because this was a really interesting topic and I think the discussion around it was really good. I was certainly very engaged with it. Um, Yeah, and I'd love to see it continue uh, as we go forward. Yeah. So
1: to to temporize this uh, cast more so than making it a generally applicable one, uh, let's quickly round up the state of Expedition and what we view as sort of the four pillars of the format moving into the Expedition open in a little over what ten days from now, a week to, uh, fourteen days from now.
0: Uh, Close yeah, to fourteen. It's, it's a week from yesterday, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Uh. Isn't week okay? Then seven days, sure. In a week.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really coming up.
1: Uh. So there's so there's four there's four main pillars, and I'm just gonna briefly. Uh, stay with there, and then we'll go over them in a little more detail. So we have sort of Argent Port midrange slash control decks. We have Wind Chest Unleashed decks. We have Heavy Primal decks uh, featuring lots of Aegis units. And we have Fire Aggro decks. So let's start by talking about uh, Argent Port range slash control decks. So what's the key highlights of their decks?
0: Yeah, so Argent Port has a lot of really good multi-faction cards. There's Black Book, the 1-7 um, that... Takes a card from the opponent's hand. There's Slay, there's Nothing Remains. Those are all multi faction Argent Port cards that are extremely powerful. I think they're like the best at what they do for the cost. Um, there's also Gift of the Arc Bank, uh, which works pretty well when you're playing like an attrition game plan. Um, that's the relic that gives all your Minotaurs and relic weapons plus two plus one and makes two 1 1s with Taunt. Um, yeah, I I think Argent is an exceptionally solid deck. If the tournament was tomorrow, I would definitely be playing Argent Port. I,
1: th- I think I think Gift is a little bit more suspect than the others, just because Barbarian is literally everywhere. Um, <laughs> Barbarian Gorillas is really quite solid and uh, kills all the attachments in the world.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I I actually think it's the best card in the format. Gift of the Orcs. Really, thing. it does die to to Barbarians, but if someone's not playing Fire. There aren't really that many great options against it. I mean, you've got, like, display, but then you, you know, you still end up with the, uh, 2 one ones and and a 1-4, and maybe you got to get some value out of um, the buff that gives. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know. It, it's,
1: a, it's a solid, the Argent port midrange has been a solid metagame staple for years in the past, you know, the metagame staple for years to come.
0: Yeah. Speaking of
1: things that aren't metagame staples in like every metagame, we have uh, Wind Chest Unleash. So this is playing Miner's Musket, the two-fire relic weapon that gives the top unit or relic of your deck minus two cost. And the goal here is that you play Miner's Musket, you make a three-cost unleash unit cost one, and then you play six of them in one turn, and then you just kind of do something super degenerate. It's a little bit high rolly. Not it doesn't. It doesn't. You don't need the high roll to win, but like it has this insane high roll. Um, and it's just it's a it's a solid deck uh i I'm leaning towards it at the moment, but I have there's there's lots of solid decks out there, so um I just think that the it's just it just does a really powerful thing, even if it can be uh you know answered. It's really funny so the so the card nothing remains just be like oh, nothing remains stops the unleash combo by you know baking them all void bound. they can't be returned except unleash counters nothing remains by putting a copy into the void already, so you can't just give the unit void bound in play because you already have one in the void. <laughs>
0: yeah i don't know how much i like this deck i it does have uh staying power for sure once you get it going but like if you don't draw miner's musket you've, you're playing a lot of really mediocre cards and um even when you do you are like not doing anything too powerful and then you have one turn where you do something really powerful and then the rest of the game a lot of the time you're not doing anything too powerful after that either um so i'm not a huge fan of this deck but uh
1: you know, I
0: haven't really tried it out that much. Uh,
1: I think, I think, yeah, I think the deck is really solid and is better than it might look on paper as far as consistency goes. Um, additionally, I think it's also, I mean, this is this is just mostly a uh, you know preferential thing rather than maybe a balance thing. I think it it warps the format in an unfun way and is also just like really boring to watch and play. <laughs> like I've had multiple games on either side of the equation, both playing the deck and against the deck, where they're playing, you know, seven parliament elders, or I'm playing seven parliament elders, and we know the other side has a board clear of some variety—a you know, saloon massacre, nothing remains, elemental fury, or display of survival, or fall of the spire. Right. You know that the opponent has some sort of board to answer, but you gotta play your seven parliament elders anyways because what, you know, maybe there's the two percent chance they don't have it. You know, what do you do? Not play all seven of them? You know, like, like it's just—it's just so boring to play seven in a row, knowing they're gonna be removed. Um, and it's, just, it's just slow. And I just don't think Unleash is fun when you're reducing with Musket.
0: Yeah, I agree. For the format. Certainly the gameplay is not very interesting because you're like, did I draw a Musket? Did I draw yeah. the unit that I musketed? musketed? Yeah. So um, I, th- I think yeah. that,
1: uh, you know, I think that these Unleash decks market, I think that Expedition would be a healthier format if Musket wasn't in the format.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, on to our next pillar, Primal, which includes like Huru or Spellcrag or Monoprimal or even... Uh, Felms, Flashing, there's, there's, there's a lot, lot of, of powerful basically, stuff here. Basically, like,
1: the key, the key is, is that you're playing Plunk and you're playing 4-cost Eilin and you're using the power of huge Aegis Flyers to kill the opponent.
0: Yeah, that, you have very good Aegis Threats. That's that's what this one's all about. You also have the uh, 4-3 Flyer that can gain an Aegis if you contract it. I think usually you don't contract that card, but it's still like, you know, it has the potential to be uh an Aegis card there's also Cherry Gap which doesn't have Aegis but kind of has there's 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 there's
1: there's a lot there's there's a surprising amount of variation once you go past sort of the staples of you know Plunk Island Serpent Hive right there can there can be a certain variation but they sort of all do a generally similar game plan some do it better than others um you know for example one that is you know potentially a highlight right now is you know uh, spellcrag that Spifferific, who just won a T&E uh, today as of this recording uh, with you know spellcrag like a fire version of this heavy primal deck you know it looks pretty solid plays out pretty well um so you know they all, they all do a little bit different things but they all kind of do a similar style of you know what direction they're fighting for.
0: Yeah. Big aegis
1: threats. <laughs> and and finally we have Fire aggro decks uh, you know, you know, affectionately called Praxis Crack the Earth because they look like a pra- Crack the Earth market. They have like anywhere between like twelve and sixteen five drops, all
0: with charge. <laughs> yeah, like Riva and Inferno Phoenix. Is it Inferno? That's the name of the five. So yeah, so day. yeah, so there's 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 Riva, Inferno Phoenix,
1: Solux, and Evelina, all f- solid five drop units with charge, and some number of those make a Praxis deck, and you just are like, well. I guess I'm playing 5-drops.deck, and it works out sometimes, oddly enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the thing about Irodex is that they don't have to be good. They just have to be good enough. And I think that the format is pretty slow, and there's a lot of awkwardness. Like, there aren't a ton of powerful turn 2 plays. But kind of just playing um, uh, Argent Port uh, Soldier into 5-drop, flying in charge, into powerful 5-drop <laughs> can kind of be good enough. Um, so there's probably some sort of fire aggro deck that is good enough, but like I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to go with it. I, I need to I need to mess around with those. The new promo is pretty good. The three cost three two that plays weapon when you play it. That oh, I thought you were talking about the other promo Exodus, which is found in the practice charge decks. Yeah, that card's pretty good too. Anyway, um, so the, those are like what it's looking like right now. Of course, we could see this change drastically in the in the coming week. Um, but right now, you know, if if I was playing a, a tournament tomorrow, I would just play Ardenport and Stormbus Sounds like you'd play Unleash. Probably. Yeah. I wouldn't want to play Unleash, but yeah. I'd probably play Unleash. Yeah, I don't want to play Ardenport either. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to what happens after this tournament. <laughs> uh, anyway.
1: So, so uh, you know. As so, I believe we're about to start uh, ending the cast and running it down saying goodbye to all the lovely folks. I would just like to point out uh, that previously I have stated that Felden Adept is going to be the best card in the set if Unleash doesn't warp the metagame. And I will say Unleash has warped the metagame. Um, But Direwolf has buffed Felden Adept. So, you know, I don't know what that says. I don't know if that makes me right or wrong but I feel like somehow it sticks it to Sunnyvale.
0: Yeah, first they planted Stormblast, and now this. I just can't believe it. (laughs) Um. Because
1: the the irony, of course, is that Sunny could take the position of they buffed it, therefore you were clearly wrong about Felna Depth, but they buffed Felna Depth, and that just is great. So, you know.
0: Yeah, I actually don't think that, even if it weren't for Unleash, I don't think Felon Depth would actually be that good, at least not in Expedition. Um, Be just because, like, you kind of have to jump through too many hoops in order to get to work. You gotta jump through hoops, Sonny. Got him. What? You gotta jump through all the hoops, Sonny. I, okay, whatever. All yeah. right, uh, a huge thank you to everyone who contributed <laughs> to the discussion in Discord, um, that led to this podcast. So, uh, uh, Snowbird with the initial question, and then contributions from, uh, Popo Tito, Ddub, uh, Alex Firo, Doc twenty eight, Notorious GHP, and Jez. I think that's everyone we quoted in today's. But there was a lot of other good stuff. If you want to take a look at the entire discussion, um, so I yeah,
1: there, there was good back and forth, and there were definitely valuable comments and people commenting on comments uh, that we didn't mention here. Right? We only have so much time, and we have other things we want to say ourselves, not just repeating other people's words. Uh, but don't take this as the full sum of valuable conversation that was had.
0: Yeah. Um, so thank you to everyone who, you know, everyone in the community. Um, if you're not a part of the Friends of Eternal Discord, I strongly recommend it. Effie is recruiting for the team. I mean, Effie's always been open for everyone who wants to join, but, uh, especially since I don't have a job, I'm planning on being more active this year as far as participating in competitive Eternal. I was not very active last year. Um, so yeah, join the friends of Eternal discord uh link is in the description or show notes or whatever uh somewhere wherever this video is it's it's going to be there below it there'll be a link there all right thanks everyone listening thanks to the patrons who still support us it's been a while and i couldn't even access patreon to thank people individually because i couldn't see it but thank you to anyone who somehow supports the show even though it's been extremely sporadic of late um starblast anything before we sign off
1: Oh, I already, I already did my poking of you, so I'm good. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, we will see you in the friend zone.